the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. But whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, dwell, ruminate, marinate, concentrate on these things. Don't worry, pray, and rehearse these things. Dwell on these things and make these two first steps a habitual characteristic response to your situation or circumstance again and again and again. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the broadcast. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, we'll be hearing a message from the sermon series that Pastor Keith has entitled, Cultivating Joy from the Ruins. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. I know it's easy to say, but what if this happens? Or what if, what if the, 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 the sheltering at home is extended for months and months and months? What if the economy tanks? Forget the what ifs. Those are roads to nowhere. Think with Jesus. What does worry accomplish? Does it bring you joy? No, it doesn't. It can lead to hysteria, depression, fretfulness, hopelessness. That's what worry does. Worship, prayer. Prayer leads you in the right direction. It leads to reasonable plans, reasonable thinking. You know, that's the difference between worry and concern. I'm not saying don't be concerned, not to be mindful of the circumstances or the situation. One is constructive. That's being mindful. That's seeking God. That's, that's worship. The other is... Uh, destructive that's worry that's anxious and he says do not be anxious again uh, Matthew 6:34 therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself sufficient for the day is its own trouble good advice from God in the flesh so don't waste time worrying don't worry pray seek God first and foremost seek God primarily he shouldn't be your last resort he should be your first resort James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, says pretty much the same thing in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. 
You know, he says, count it all joy whenever you encounter various and sundry trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfecting, maturing, completing work, leaving you adequate and complete, lacking in nothing. But then he picks up on the prayer part, because sometimes we find ourselves seemingly beyond our depth. And James understands that. God understands that. And the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle James, says this to us in James 1, 5 through 6. If any of you, if any one of you, lacks wisdom, here's a command, let him ask God. It's a command. Ask God, he says. If you lack wisdom, if you're in over your head, if you're beyond your depth, ask God for wisdom. And look how he describes God. Here's, here's where you find joy among the ruins. Who gives generously to all without reproach. Ask and it will be given him. But, verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. When you worry, when you doubt, you're just all over the board. You're up and down. It's almost like you're bipolar. It's almost like you're manic depressive. You're just all over the place. One moment you're up, one moment you're down. One moment you're happy, one moment you're sad. One moment you're confident, one moment you're worried. But he says, look, just ask God for the wisdom and God will provide. Don't worry, pray. Don't worry, worship. Ask speaks to praying. Ask God. Pray to God for wisdom and he will supply what you need when you need it. It also says that he gives generously. There's cause for joy. Characteristically, our God is a graceful, grace-giving supplying, enabling, empowering God. And not only that, who are you going to turn to for answers? Reddit, BuzzFeed, Quora, your friends, your colleagues, or God? All of which brings us back to our passage, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, because here's the how-to for finding joy among the ruins. Here is the first step. The first lines of our blueprint are sketched out here. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Listen to this. Look at this. Think about this. Drink it in. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. But instead, on the contrary, in everything, in every situation and circumstances, characteristically, habitually, and practically, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your request be made known to God. Don't worry, pray. And look at this promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to think about that. There's joy right there. There's joy. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding. Think of Jeremiah walking among the ruins. Think of Paul here writing in prison. It will guard your hearts. It will guard your emotions. It will guard your thinking in Christ. Hillside, peace in the storm enables us, facilitates us to have joy among the ruins. Prayer, remember, is an acknowledgement of dependence upon God. Who would you rather depend on? Who would you rather look to? Who knows everything, can do anything? Who, would you, who do you turn to for wisdom? God. And at that point, you know what? You've done all that you can do. That's why the peace of God comes, because you've taken it to the foot of the cross. You've taken it to the highest authority in the universe. You've taken it to the only one who knows all things exhaustively, all things completely, who sees the larger picture, who knows what he's trying to accomplish, who knows your needs before you ask, who knows what you can handle. 
And having done that, you can lie down and rest and sleep peacefully and live joyfully because you're depending on God, not your own wit and wisdom and not the frail wisdom or the pooled ignorance of Reddit and BuzzFeed and Quora and all this sort of thing. You see, prayer doesn't really change God. It changes us. It changes how we look at our circumstances. You see that in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because you've let your request be made known to God. You've taken it to the King, the Sovereign of the universe, and now His peace is upon you. And remember what Jesus said. Peace I give to you, not peace as the world gives, but my peace I give to you. Peace that enables us to draw closer to God, deeper into his embrace, and to find solace and serenity and, yes, joy as we walk among the ruins. So don't worry. Worship. Don't worry. Pray. Don't engage in destructive thinking. Engage in constructive practices. Pray. Go to somebody who can do something about the situation. Go to somebody who can provide the wisdom you need, God in Christ. Then what? Well, that brings us to step two. Step two is this, cling to what is true. Cling to what is true. Recall, rehearse, focus on what you know to be true and good, and for that matter, who you know to be true and good. Where do we see this? We see this in Philippians 4.8. So he's giving all these instructions. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be seen by all people. Let it be known and shown. Be anxious for nothing. Pray. And then he says in verse 8, he begins to conclude all these thoughts together, this blueprint to uh, serenity, this blueprint to joy as we walk among the ruins. He says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if, if, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think. Focus on these things. Some translations say dwell on these things. Remember, as we've always discussed, one of our, I hate to call it a mantra, but that's what one of our mottos here is right thinking leads to right attitudes, actions, words, and deeds. This gets back to be anxious for nothing. You don't want to harass yourself continually with what ifs. Right thinking leads to right attitudes. And you can find joy among the ruins as you take your concerns to God and focus on who God is, how God is, and the fact that he has a larger redemptive plan. And you can meditate. You can dwell on God's sovereignty over the universe, on God's involvement in the affairs of men and women, and God's involvement in your life and his plan for you. Because we were all raised up for such a time as we're in right now to be used by God to bring sons and daughters to glory, to see this world changed one soul at a time with the message, with the hope, with the promises of God and Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings. So don't obsess on the wrong things. Celebrate, meditate on the right things. Cling to what is true. And that's why James can write, count it all joy. Not if, whenever you encounter various and sundry trials. Because God is at work in your life and in this world, bringing all things to a righteous and a good and a hopeful, not a hopeless conclusion. And he's given us his operating manual for life, the Bible. He's put his Holy Spirit in us, empowering and enabling us to do things in him that we could not do in our own flesh. He's given us each other to stimulate one another to love and to good works. 
Dwell on these things. Fixate on these truths. I love what Asaph wrote in Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, verses 25, 26, and 28, this is what we read. And, and just let this sink in. This is Asaph. Now, Asaph was a guy who dealt with difficult circumstances and people and situations. And Psalm 73 is all about his struggle with right thinking. And it talks about how he thought things were hopeless until he went to God. He went into the temple to pray. And as he engages with God in prayer, as he draws close to God, as he, as he embraces God's thoughts and plans and works here, he says this in verse 25. 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Asaph had his struggles, but he sought God and he regained perspective. Whom have I in heaven but you? Is there nothing on there is nothing on earth I desire more than you. It is good for me to be near God. I've made God my refuge. There is joy in the ruins right there. As he walks among the ruins. You can find joy among the ruins by remembering what is true, what is good. That's what Job did in the midst of all his loss. You know, you see Job wasn't perfect and he fights for, for peace. He fights for joy. He fights for sanity. And in Job 19 verses 25 and 26, he's able to say this. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, after he dies, yet in my flesh I will see God. He had some glimpse of his resurrection body. Job had lost children. He had lost his wealth, his financial security. He had lost his reputation. He had lost everything seemingly. But he found joy in the midst of the trial. He found joy in the midst of the ruins because he knew that his Redeemer lived. He later said, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Can we say that? Job could. Jeremiah did. Nick could. Nick can. Who's Nick? Well, I'm going to break with my normal practice here, and we're going to play a video for you about a man who found joy among the ruins. Watch with me now. I was born in Melbourne, Australia, 1982, and my parents had no idea that I was going to be born without arms or legs. I was the only one that I ever saw without limbs. My faith in Jesus Christ was sealed after seven years of wondering why, God, I was born this way. Uh, he answered me very clearly through John chapter 9. And I gave my life to Jesus at 15 after reading about how he came across a man who was born blind. And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. This looks interesting. <laughs> and no one knew why he was born that way. I'm like, perfect. So I read on, and in verse 3 of the ninth chapter, Jesus said, It was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And I'm like, wow, God, if you had a plan for the blind man, you do have a plan for me. And that was the beginning of my personal relationship with Jesus. 
Youth groups were starting to call me. Churches were starting to call me. Opportunities were opening up everywhere for me to share my testimony. Nick has made over 2,000 appearances in 40 countries on six continents. And he has changed the lives of thousands and thousands of people. He has changed the eternities of thousands and thousands of people. You can see and you can sense his joy You can sense his peace. You can sense his sense of purpose. Because in his own way, Nick embodies joy among the ruins. Joy, he found, even as he faced a life, outwardly speaking, of uncertainty. How do you think Nick reached that point? Well, this brings us to step three. Because I'm sure Nick, I'm sure Nick had to decide not to worry, but to pray, to worship rather than to worry. I'm sure Nick had to rehearse the goodness of God and all the things that was good and right about God as he looked into that passage in John chapter 9 about the blind man and the blind man's purpose. But you know what? I'm sure not every day was easy for Nick. You can look at the video and tell that. And that's where step three comes in. And step three is this. Form this habit. Form this habit. What habit? What habit? Look at verses uh, 8b and 9. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, dwell on these things. Now, here it is. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul writes from prison, practice, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There's a command with a promise. Practice these things, choosing worship, prayer over worry. Practice these things, clinging to what is true instead of worrying about what if. Practice these things again and again. Habituate these things. For how long? Certainly more than once. I read somewhere that it takes six weeks of daily habituation, daily repetition to form a habit. Make it your practice. Make it your habit. Start now and and, and conduct this experiment, if you will, for the next six weeks. Don't worry. Pray. Dwell on what's good, on who's good, and practice it again and again. Practice, dwell on what? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is anything of excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, dwell, ruminate, marinate, concentrate on these things. Don't worry, pray, and rehearse these things. Dwell on these things and make these two first steps a habitual characteristic response to your situation or circumstance again and again and again. It's good for you. It's better for you. It will be healing to your bones, so to speak, or refreshment to your flesh in healing to your bones. As the writer of Proverbs says, it never does any good to worry. Worry is a road to nowhere. Don't go there. We are told by Jesus, Paul, the psalmist, Asaph, and others, James, to rejoice, to count it all joy. Paul says rejoice two times in one sentence. Jesus said rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. To seek God, who is our peace, our strength, our shield, our shepherd, the source of our contentment, the source of our joy. That's a road to somewhere, the sane path, the reasonable path, 
the path to joy, the path to resilience in these difficult and, and unpredictable times. Which brings us sort of kind of full circle in our passage because the basis for the command to be anxious for nothing, the basis to dwell, to cling to what is true, is found in verses 4 and 5 of Philippians 4. We sort of seemingly leapfrogged over that, right? But we come back to that. Why? Because it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Verse 5, watch this word. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Remember that Paul writes from prison, among the ruins. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice from prison. Then he makes this statement about our reasonableness. Seemingly, he's talking about our sanity, our presence of mind. But the Greek word under that has a sense of uh, resilience. And in that resilience is our joy, the rationale for joy. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Philippians 4, 5. Let the result of the joy and the peace found in Christ be shown and known to everyone. Therefore, be anxious for nothing. Let your request be made known to God. Whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is worthy of good report, dwell on these things because joy enables resilience. The peace that surpasses all understanding makes joy possible. And these things make your ability to bounce back from a crisis like this one, to keep your feet, to maintain your sea legs possible. And his rationale is this. The Lord is near. What does that mean? He's near you, certainly. God is with us and in us through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. But also his return each day draws closer near, closer still. There's comfort in his proximity and the proximity of his return. There's an urgency in both of these because the Lord is near. We want to glorify him because he's going to return. We want to be found faithful. And because we can trust in him, we can have joy. Time is short. This life is short. Eternity is long. And you and I were raised up for such a time as this. Here we are in the midst of a storm. Let our joy be known and shown to everyone as we choose not to worry but to worship, as we choose to dwell on the goodness of God, and as we practice these things over and over again to maintain and to cultivate that joy. So what do you do with all this? How do you apply what we've just talked about? It's like this. Your circumstances may vary. Each of you may have your own set of ruins, but there's only one roadmap to joy, and that's a relationship with God and Christ. And therefore, if you know Christ, if you belong to Jesus, if you have turned from your sin and repentance and placed your faith in Christ, seek him in prayer. Don't worry. Pray. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Worship and dwell on, reflect on, cling to what is true, that you belong to him, that your eternity is secure, and that he knows the plans he has for you. And that his plans are bigger than what you can see, bigger than this crisis. And then just keep reminding yourself of this. You know what? Do it at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Practice it three times a day. Make it the first response as opposed to reaction to hardship in your day, in your life. Cultivate this practice. Practice these truths, and you will be able to rejoice as you walk among the ruins and the uncertainty in this life, in this world, and in this present crisis. God bless you and keep you all. Let me pray, pray for us right now. Father, 
Father, these times are hard. People are struggling. People are suffering. Things seem uncertain, but we know that you are upon the throne. Lord, let us find our joy in you as we worship rather than worry, as we pray rather than worry, as we take our concerns to the king of the universe who knows all things and does all things well. And help us to remember whom we serve and how you are and to dwell on these things so that your peace will guard and govern our thoughts and enable us to be joyful despite our circumstances. And Father, remind us to practice these things. Holy Spirit, prick our consciences, bring verses to mind, opportunities to to mind to pray to do these things over and over again. And we'll give you the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us today here on the program. And if you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast, The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church... It is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening.